Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the all-in-one daily drink to promote better health and peak performance. We here at Swissper know that even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all your nutritional bases. That's where Athletic Greens will help. With its complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, it is no common drink, but straight up nutritional insurance for your body delivered right to your doorstep. And let's be honest, you can't really take off as an entrepreneur if you don't have the right fuel. I myself use Athletic Greens first thing in the morning. One simple scoop in a glass of water means my energy levels stay consistently high throughout my day. Athletic Greens tastes delicious, and it manages to do so while containing no more than one gram of sugar and being compatible with any diet you can imagine. Vegan, paleo, keto, you name it. So if you're ready to become the entrepreneur of your dreams, head on over to athleticgreens.com slash to claim our special offer today and receive a free D3K2 wellness bundle with your first purchase. That's up to a one year supply of vitamin D. Very important for the coming winter months. And you know what's also winter essential? Listening to Swisspreneur. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com slash And now on with the show. If you know that you're working for yourself, um, you have that extra, you get that extra kick when you talk with customers in your selling projects. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Tanya, very well, welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks, Sylvan. It's really uh, nice to be here today. You're the CEO of the Debio Farm Innovation Fund. That's a strategic fund of the Debio Farm Group, and you focus on digital health investments. We want to know all about that and also what kind of investments that you make. But before we talk about that, we want to know more about your personal background. You are the daughter of a Finnish surgeon and a Swiss businesswoman. And throughout your life, you also ended up in working in both countries, actually. So I wonder how much of a role did your parents play in determining your professional career? It's funny, um, now that you say it, uh, it's true. My mother was in actually international banking business and uh, my father was a, a surgeon. So it, it, is, um, it is something between those um, professions that where I ended up. But yeah, I, I always, my, my father told stories about patients in our dinner table every day. Um, he taught, talked about the surgeries that he did. He, you know, I, when I when I was little, I knew all about internal organs, uh, all their names because I had heard them so much. By the, you know, I was six or seven, I knew pretty much about human anatomy. So that definitely uh, started an interest about, you know, towards um, healthcare patients and how we can cure diseases. Got it. And then you started microbiology and biochemistry at the Aalto University in, in Finland. Did you ever consider a strictly technical and science-related career yourself, like your dad, for example? Yes, I think um, that that did cross my mind several times. But I have to say that maybe by personality, I'm too curious uh, for all kinds of phenomenons and innovations and things in life. And I want to um, kind of from the engineering background, I want to turn innovations into practical things and then how does that work and how do people then actually buy those those technologies so so uh and on the other side i didn't have a lot of patience for microbes 
uh, microbes because they grow very slowly. And, you know, the biochemical uh, testing in the laboratory can be quite, uh, it takes a lot of time and patience. So, yeah. Got it. So can you elaborate a bit more how that also showed in, in, in your, you know, teenage years or just as a, as a kid, basically, where did that entrepreneurial spirit that you were then later infected come from? Wow, that's a, that's a difficult question. I think that I've always been a bit of a wild child. <laughs> uh, I, I fought with boys when I was little um, and I, I was... Um, I was really creative. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted, um, I, I imagined things and I created things. And then I wanted everyone to follow me. And if they didn't, I got into fights with them. But I was still uh, kind of a, I, I always walked my own path, I guess. So you knew what you wanted and you made sure that you got it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. During your studies, you also then in 2018, I think, traveled to North America. So I also wonder what impact did that trip to North America have on, on your career and your entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, 1998, I started, uh, I worked in, um, in Canada and then after that in the US, in, uh, in Los Angeles, and after that in San Diego. Um, that had a huge effect on me. I think that the North American culture is very entrepreneurial. And especially when you're in California, Everyone is a businessman. They all have their own business, although they would be working day jobs somewhere else. And when I was doing my internship there on uh, um, doing market research on biotech industry um, and critical success factors in that business, um, I started thinking, I started kind of listening to people and I said, I want to do that too. I want to be an entrepreneur. And I didn't know what type of entrepreneur, but I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That that just that was thanks to North America. <laughs> so the, the spirit and the motivation really got injected in you there. That's right. That's right. You know, now looking back, um, you said you have always been that like that way, that entrepreneurial way. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that entrepreneurs are they born, or can you also develop your entrepreneurial mindset to a certain degree? I'm sure you can develop it, but I think that that there are. Uh, people that just have more maybe curiosity and ability to take risk and that want to, you know, create something and outlive that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think there's there's a natural kind of characteristics that, that you need to have. Got it. And then your US trips or North America trips actually brought that back to, to life. Because in 2000, you then started uh, Biosolutions INT, your own company. Mm -hmm. Um, can you talk a bit more why the timing was right to start your company and what you exactly did with that company? Yeah. So I had just uh, come back from, from the U.S. and I, I had decided now, okay, now I'm going to look for something to do um, as an entrepreneur. And my first idea, I wanted to replace animal testing um, in clinical trials by technologies that can maybe do it in silico or we can do it in vitro in laboratories. And I was looking for the right technologies. And then I graduated at the same time. And the time kind of ran out and I needed a job. So I said, okay, well, what can I do? What can I do that is of value to somebody else? So I thought, okay, I know how to do market research. So why don't I just start from there? And I started my first company straight out of university um, and um, in, in research project management and, and market research. That was the first business idea. 
And with that business, you also expanded to uh, the U.S. again. You opened yes. an office in San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's so right. how has your experience, you know, from already been there before helped you to actually open an office there? Oh, absolutely. Because I, I saw that there was a need, number one, for European companies to enter the U.S. market to to see what, you know, in, there's a, there was a lot of investment back in the day in, in San Diego, in biotech industry. It was the hot spot. So, you know, people wanted to get access to there. They wanted to understand uh, the, the opinions of the, some of the, the, the highest profile professors. So it was kind of an easy, easy step to take there. And it was, quite frankly, it was so stimulating environment with, with just driving through La Jolla with uh, biotech companies on both sides of the street. You would not see that anywhere else in the world. It was really exciting. Got it. But then still, already two years after you launched your own company, you actually sold it already? Yes. <laughs> Why sell it so quickly? Yeah. So what, I mean, although we had offices in Helsinki and San Diego, we were only like three people. So it was a small operation. And um, I worked with several startup companies uh, doing market research, kind of pro, uh, positioning them on the market, helping them build their business plan to explain to the investors why their ideas are good. And um, after I would do a market research project, the young startup entrepreneurs would ask me to help them on the next step. And I said, okay, well, I've never done it myself. I don't have the experience. I, I can't give you too much more. I, I don't want to be on the next steps because I, I'm, not, I'm not that experience in in what you do after <laughs> and um, I walked to Innomedica that was at the time a, um, a VC owned kind of a, a, a consulting company um, working in biotech in licensing and um, I asked them to help you know can we work together and while we started thinking about how to work together they kind of came around after a while and said why don't we just acquire your whole business and you start our market research and project management um, business. So that's how it ended. <laughs> Crazy. Two years after the start. Yes, yes. But what then made you sell was the new role and, and you know, the new collaboration basically that opened up. Uh, was that appealing to you or yeah. why did you then actually sell the company? Yeah, there was a lot of experienced people in Innomerica and I really wanted to, uh, I wanted to learn from them. I wanted to um, do the next step and develop to the next stage together with these people. They were a really good group of people in, in Helsinki and in Tokyo, um, and it was it was exciting. It was it was an opportunity to still have and run my kind of own side of the business, but work as a part of a, a larger group. Got it. So maybe you can walk us through. You know, they wanted that you work for them. So mm -hmm. how do they structure such a deal? Do they just acquire the whole company, or do they just hire you and say? Um, you you close your own company. How how did that go about? They acquired the whole company. They acquired the whole business because it was. I had customers. I had lots of agreements already in place. I had a multiple year agreement with um, some um, some of the biggest customers. So they wanted those agreements. So that the easiest way is to just buy the business and hire me at the same time. That was that was the way to go. And then we could transfer all those agreements also to the new company. Nice. So it was a, a double win, basically. They won you as employee and also your clients. Absolutely. Um, can you disclose any amount or anything, you know, in, ter in terms of the, the details of the sale? It was not that big. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was good at that point. I got, I got uh, out of my student debts and I bought a car. <laughs> but and I got all my because I had also taken some debt to start up my company. So that was great, you know, and I got kind of... Uh, 
two years after graduation, I had a really good job and I was debt free. So that was that was it. <laughs> so it's already a pretty good start, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't millions. Let's put it that sure. way. <laughs> so you weren't able to retire after that deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> then you also stayed at Inomedica for 14 years. Mm -hmm. Did it ever occur to you to start another company and, and leave uh, Inomedica? Absolutely, absolutely. So first I, I worked with them uh, for a couple of years, I think four years uh, and um, around that time, I was 30-something and I decided to start a family. So I was home more or less three years uh, working then part-time when I returned. And um, when I got back um, after the kids, I was actually um, working with a group of researchers uh, to start up a new company. They asked me to join them as a CEO. And um, I was about to leave. I was already reviewing the contract. And... Um, um, at the same time, um, Inomedica's chairman called me and said that the CEO is leaving and would you like to uh, take over the job? So I thought that was exciting because I had thought that there was a lot of things that we could do better and we could grow and we could do differently. So I got that chance and um, I stayed, but I also made this promise to myself and I told them as well as a condition, I want to... Uh, I want to do a management buyout because there was a large VC that still owned the company. And I said, no, you know, uh, consulting companies, uh, service company, they never work um, unless it's owned by the management. It's it's much better that way. And you Maybe know, just why is that the case? Well, when, when you think about it, um, uh, we are selling, <laughs> when you're in service business, um, VCs can't really help us because we're not a scalable growth business. So we were, uh, there was some historical reasons why we, we ended up in that situation. And um, at the same time, we are really selling our deep knowledge and our personality. Mm -hmm. And if you know that you're working for yourself, um, you have that extra, you get that extra kick when you talk with customers and you're selling projects. So you're just that much sharper uh, when doing that. A real entrepreneur at heart, I would say. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So I did, you know, that's what, what what we did, and we we acquired the company back to ourselves, uh, um, and then I became an entrepreneur again. So I had sold my company to a company that I later uh, became a major partner of. So crazy, and then you bought it back. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> How did you finance that? Did you get any investors on board to, um, to make that deal happen? I, um, I did loans. So uh, there was an organization in Finland uh, backed by the government that gave um, good loans for uh, women entrepreneurs. So that was really, uh, really a good, good way to, to do it. Great. But still like 14 years in total at the same company, yeah. that does something to you. So how have you changed as a person during these 14 years? I would say it's an interesting thing because when I when I think back, I'm like, how did that happen? 14 years is a long time. But because you work in projects with other companies, I worked with more than 80 companies. I counted when I left 83 companies that I had worked with on different projects. So you're all the time renewing yourself, uh, going into a new company, uh, finding out what is their real question behind the need, helping them get over it. You learn something, you take that to the next project that you work on. So it was really, it was fast paced. Um, so I, I, I would say that during those years, what I, what I learned was really to organize my, my schedule and manage my time because you can really, really uh, work night and day on those projects. But also what really changed is that I learned that every company 
has their own problems uh, or challenges. And when you go into a company, usually they, they explain that, oh, we'd like to help with, with so-and-so project. And in the end, I started smiling. I'm like, okay, you tell me whatever you tell me, but I'll see what your real problem is. Because once you get to know the people, it might be uh, that they need an external because the management team has an issue. The C-level people don't agree. They need an external to help them communicate to each other or challenge their questions. Or, or there is something in the company, there's a structure, there's a, there's a change that has, has spun the company to a, a strange curve. Um, and they need to be, bring it back. Or then many companies are just insecure. They think they have a good idea, but, you know, is it really, are we really going to take this risk and invest money into this business growth when we, nobody knows? So, so I, <laughs> I almost started thinking in the end that it's almost like a psychologist <laughs> talking to, talking to this, the C-level team to find out what the real problem is and to help them help them analyze with facts, but also to help them kind of from mentoring perspective to, to uh, have the confidence. So I think that that changed during the years. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's also very interesting as you just described, there's no like magic bullet or one size fits all solution to the companies. Every company is different. I think that's a very yes. important takeaway there. Yes, yes. But then at a certain time, also, you know, logically after 14 years, some tasks and, and you know, duties that you have get a bit more repetitive and yeah. maybe also a bit more boring. Yes. So one day you started screening LinkedIn a bit just out of curiosity. <laughs> yeah. What happened there? Yeah, yeah. I have to tell you a little, I have to take a step back from here and say that we, we had wanted to create a transaction, more transaction business in the end of the, 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 in the final years at Indomedica. And we did a um, M&A on the buy side. Mm -hmm. And I, I had always thought that that's kind of like a big deal. And after I did that, I, I thought, okay, well, what's next? And I felt that it was repetition of, you know, you, you go to a customer, you sell your project, you do the project, you move on to the next project. So there was kind of a continue missing. And I thought that, you know, investing in companies, you know, I've worked all my life with innovative startups and innovative technologies and how to get those to the market. But how do you then, um, how, I, I wanted to continue with that, but maybe with, with a longer time perspective. So I thought, okay, investments would be an interesting area, but I, I did not have any experience on investments and how to manage that. So so yes, I uh, I was sitting at my office having my morning coffee and and you know looking at you know updating my LinkedIn, sharing some posts, and I click on the tab for jobs and I start saying because I thought about you know should I start looking outside and not stay within Nomedica and I I um I landed on a on a job ad it was completely it was not really relevant but I just looked at it and. And, you know, what is this about? What's, what are the requirements and so on? And as it happens, the next day, I receive a message from a recruiter on, would you be interested to speak with me about a job in investments? And I said, that's big brother watching. I go on one job ad and the next day a recruiter calls. And that's how it started. It was really, um, we had a conversation and, and uh, I grew really interested in, in what Debiofarm, what we can do with Debiofarm. And then eventually in 2016, you joined Debio Farm. That's right. That's right. That was a, a classical story of coming from Zurich on a train through the vineyards, seeing the Lac Le Mans. 
And um, I've heard this story that about throwing your return ticket out the window. Uh, it wasn't that quick, but I did come to the office and I looked at the lake and I said, wow, you know, if you can work in this beautiful place, uh, I'm sure that you will be happy. <laughs> so that's like the USP of, of Lausanne and Debio Farm here, right? <laughs> if you come from Zurich, you're only halfway sold if you come here by train. Oh, it's, it's gorgeous. Of course, it's gorgeous also in Zurich. I have to uh, uh, say that uh, being... Zurich Oberlander myself, but um, part half half from there. So, but uh, it was definitely something exotic and exciting. But also, of course, the whole Debio Farm story and uh, how how the company is built, how it operates. So that was really uh, exciting. In what way? So, so Debio Farm is a um, privately owned kind of uh, pharmaceutical biotech company, mid size, and. The, 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 the legacy of this company has always been to use the world as our laboratory and in-license um, products when they're approaching the clinical trials, develop them and then work with partners to, to distribute those products globally. That's the kind of the Debio Farm uh, pharmaceutical company perspective. And I thought that's kind of the same way that I see that there's a lot of innovation in this world and we just need to connect the dots and get people to talk to each other. And I really like that. And then with this strategic fund, uh, the opportunity to go even further and look for, you know, what is going to change, um, what is going to change the patient care? What is going to, how are we going to develop drugs in the future? There's so many broken models in in, in our business, you know, we have aging population and huge healthcare costs. So how can you solve those problems by innovation? That was what really excited me. I, I can fully understand that. <laughs> and you became the, the head of the innovation for, uh, fund at Debio yes. Farm and soon after also its CEO. Yes. So what was particularly interesting for you to switch to the investment side? Yeah, it was it was exactly this 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 thought that I had that I, I I I've seen a lot of companies. I know I can help them. I can bring my experience and my knowledge to these guys, but also to be able to see the journey and see a longer part of that journey. So when you go in and as an investor, you know, two to four years is what you're looking at for sure, even longer within the company. And you can you can help and affect on the paths that the company takes. And um, I wanted to also prove to myself that I actually, I've learned something. And I, I think that I've developed an eye um, for what's, what works, what doesn't, what, what companies, what kind of CEOs make it. And I wanted to prove to myself that I can select the type of companies for investments that will actually um, have a good ending, that have an exit. And I'm on, on that path still. I want to see that uh, that uh, that happens. I want to talk about those selection criteria in a moment. But yeah. before that, take a step back and also ask you, why does Debio Farm actually need its own innovation fund? Like, what's the rationale of investing money in other third-party companies, basically? Yeah, it's, it's bringing external innovation, kind of helping our people also to mold uh, we develop drugs that, you know, large pharma companies are going to distribute one day in the world. Um, that market, when our drugs get to market, it's, you know, it's six to eight years from today because of the long timelines of drug development. We need to know 
what type of drugs are needed in that future market. If we develop drugs always the same old way, we are going to develop drugs to a market that doesn't exist anymore. So I really, we are trying to ensure that we stay on, on kind of the, the top of the, the wave of development so that we bring current uh, products to the market that really um, are, are targeted to the, to the needs of that market. Right. And why did you decide to build the innovation fund in-house and not outsource that to an external third party? <laughs> I think it's, um, uh, there's, there's uh, a good reason for that. Uh, we, um, we still want to have a strategic, very highly strategic investment. So we, I, the, the kind of the motivation has to come from inside on, you know, what do we need to look for? And at the same time, I need to bring a really external perspective and, and um, kind of bring those internal needs and external innovation together. And if, you're, if, you're, if you have an, a kind of uh, a VC fund where Debiofarm invests, there's much less possibility, there's much min more LPs that affect the, the direction of that fund. So you have less strategic influence that you are looking for. Yeah. Okay, got it. So let's focus a bit on the companies. What mm -hmm. kind of companies do we invest in? We mentioned at the beginning, digital health is your core focus. Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about your focus area and what sure. you're looking for there? There's two focus areas. One is um, digital health companies that um, change the way patients are treated. So patient journey is much more than having a pill. We want to kind of go beyond the pill and help the patients in every way we can. Um, and, you know, Debiofarm's focus is, is cancer, um, oncology and infectious disease. So those are the areas. And, and in, in oncology, there's a lot to do. You know, we give patients pills and they get, they hurt and they get very sick from those pills. They're, they're curing the cancer, but at the same time, it makes them feel very bad. We send them home, but could there be something more that we can do to help the patients? So that's, that's one, one area. The second area is how we develop drugs. Like I, I said earlier, um, healthcare is too expensive today. We can't afford this type of healthcare anymore. And of course, pharmaceuticals are a part of that problem. So can we develop drugs? Today, the drugs are extremely expensive because it takes what, 2.4 billion to get one drug to the market because we fail so many times in the development. So what can we do to make that development more efficient, uh, faster, uh, more targeted for the patient needs? And so I believe that using um, innovation and digital means, we can improve as a pharmaceutical industry to develop drugs in a much more agile way. These are very ambitious, but also important goals, yeah. I would say. Before we continue with the show, we'd like to introduce you to Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Whether it be marketing, sales, customer care, or accounting, Clara is just what the doctor ordered. Any SME employee can tell you that managing internal processes manually and on paper is just about the silliest way of wasting your time. That's why Clara digitizes everything. An easier, hassle-free workflow means you and your company get to spend time on what really matters, your core business. 
Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. And now, on with the show. We also mentioned, you know, you invest in, in startups. So mm-hmm. how do you actually make the decision about whether to invest or not to invest? What are you looking exactly. for? It's the typical uh, investor answer. It's the management team. Um, of course, there has to be, it has to fit the focus, uh, you know, the focus area where the company is working. And then, you know, our we usually invest in series A so it's it has to be that stage company, and we there's certain percentage we're always looking for ten to twenty percent of the shares. So th- those are the, the the kind of starting points. But when somebody a company fits that that kind of framework, um, we start talking to the the management. For me personally, the one the single most important thing is integrity. Um, if the CEO um, is responsive, um, answers to the questions, um, is, 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 comes across as authentic, um, honest, trustworthy. These are very important. Um, of course, technology is important as well, but with a, with a mediocre technology and great management, we can succeed much better than a wonderful technology, but no, not so good management. And, um, and that's, that's really, we, during the due diligence, we talk with the C-level team many times to get to know them, to understand them. And then, of course, um, in the healthcare area, what is also important is that the products do what they claim to be doing. So we need some clinical validation as well. You got it. These integrity parts, mm-hmm. they seem to be pretty difficult to measure in, you know, hard facts. So yeah. probably you have sort of a gut feeling or yeah. red flags that you see. Yeah. Do you have any examples for red flags that say, oh, this doesn't work for us? Okay. So um, one one thing is definitely, um, like I said, responsiveness. If we talk with them and we go back and forth with emails, if there's... You know, it takes a week to answer. That's one of those sure. typical things. But but also, um, it, it is a lot about getting getting the gut feeling. If the if the CEO can explain simply what they're doing, then we we know that he understands he or she understands what they're doing. And whenever it gets too complicated for us to understand what they're really doing, uh, it's typically not our problem. It's it's there's something that's not. St- Align straight. Um, if we ask about, you know, um, um, development st- uh, paths, and if there's kind of a too complicated story, th- this also comes across like, have you really thought through? And 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 overselling is one thing that we that that is not not easy to take. Um, you know, using a lot of marketing and kind of o- overseeing our, you know honest, true questions and trying to ask about something and then, then you know, oh, we're going to be so great and, and thinking that investors always want to just think about money. And the same is um, uh, another thing is um, sometimes we are with young entrepreneurs that have great ideas, but as they, they, they tell us that this is the way that pharma company can sell more. And it's kind of like, 
of course, we're business, but at the same time, pharma company doesn't just want to sell more drug to the patients. We want to actually cure patients and help them. So, so any any sort of um, um, you know, you need to be authentic and honest, and and you have to have very good values. Got it. There, there's one thing about the simplicity that you mentioned that comes to mind. I'm paraphrasing here, but there was like one person that wrote a very long letter and then at the end said, sorry, I didn't have time to write a shorter letter. <laughs> and I, I love that quote because yeah. it, it shows you that you need to put in a lot of effort and energy yes. to be able to explain yeah. things in a simple yeah. and easy to understand matter. Yes. I think that's a, a perfect example that fits with what you just described. Exactly. That's great. Um, one thing that I also like to, to talk about are challenges. You know, mm -hmm. setting up an innovation fund is not an easy project or endeavor to do. Mm -hmm. So first of all, raising the money. So where does your money come from? Is it fully financed by Debio Farm? Yes. So we're an evergreen. We're basically investing out of balance. So so that that's um, that was kind of uh, one tick in the box that that made things easier with us. But still, I probably can imagine that there is some convincing needed to actually get that money and, uh, you know, not give it to your private shareholders, but actually say, hey, we invest that in the next generation. Yes. I think that, you know, when I, when I arrived, the, 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 the investment fund was already existing. There had been um, several investments in diagnostics and in pharmaceutical field, but then the fund wanted to take a, take a kind of a view to what's the next wave, where do we need to go in the future, what's the personalized medicine. It's not just compound and diagnostics, but it's also also digital health. So that, that was kind of, it, it was there, there was the will from the top. But I think that um, what was needed, what were our challenges were, were two things. Um, to get all the digital health companies to understand that we invest in digital health, we were known as a diagnostics investor. And so how do you create networks with other investors, with accelerators, with startups in this field? That was, that was one thing. Uh, also, the name Debio Farm doesn't help because everyone associated with pharmaceutical investments. So, so that, that was one thing. Um, the other thing was also that, of course, um, you have to show your shareholder, your, your, your kind of uh, the, the owner of the fund that you can deliver. And we're supposed to, we, we, we are a learning fund. So we need to, we need to bring strategic value in learning for Debio Farm. Uh, we want everyone to see what these technologies can do and how they can develop us. But, um, but at the same time, we can't, I, I don't think anybody would be happy if we, we lost all the money. So <laughs> we need to have, we need to build that trust, um, by, by making investments that make sense and making some exits um, early on. And that's fortunately, what, fortunately what's happened. So we have increasing trust internally, I think. Great. Another challenge that you face is more from the market side where you know startups don't really or not often perceive a corporate venture capital funds yes. as smart money. So yes. how do you deal with that issue? Yeah, so, so that's, that's interesting. Um, maybe they even, even think of that as a smart money, but they don't think that it's, um, um, it's kind of smart from industry, um, industry background and understanding the, the context, but from financial perspective. Um, I think that has been... A trend in the past, it's becoming more and more usual that corporate ventures are not 
just uh, pouring corporate money into acquisition pipeline. So uh, traditionally, a lot of corporate ventures, venture funds have invested in companies where they think that, okay, we'll watch them for a bit and then we'll acquire if they deliver what they say they're going to deliver. I, I think a lot of um, corporate VCs have, have, have uh, kind of evolved from that and become more VC-type investors uh, with a capability to bring networks and, and knowledge uh, that maybe traditional VCs don't have. Good traditional VCs are good, of course, because they are also looking at at the value creation uh, all the time from financial perspective. Corporate VCs also have the, the, the benefit that we don't have time, we don't have fun timelines. Whereas VCs, you, when you have a fun time life of maybe 10 years, the first couple of years you invest and then you do follow-on investments. But if you go towards the end of the fund life, you're gonna have to do exits with companies and that's that. And yeah, regardless of where the company is. Yeah, that can lead to misaligned incentives, I would yes. say. Um, if if you want to have an exit, but the company, actually the founders, they want to keep pushing and growing. That's right. That can be a challenging situation. That's right. So in that regard, deal flow is also crucial, you know, that you get access to the right deals yeah. and can also position yourself. What do you do in these regards? Where do you get your deal flow from? Yeah. Um, we had to do a lot of footwork in the beginning of the the, the kind of the... the 2018 to uh, 2016, 2017, when we pivoted to digital health, we had to go to every event there was to talk about what we do and to really uh, meet with people and 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 network. That that was we still do that a lot, um, um, but also entrepreneur communities, uh, startup communities accelerators we try to be active and in dialogue with a lot of these but then i think that in the end it's it's a lot about your networks who uh, your co-investors uh, who you exchange information with and when you develop good relationship with the ceos of the companies that you've invested in they will always introduce you forward so that's the best way makes sense you recently also co-led a 10 million Series A in Uncomfort. Mm -hmm. I quickly got a quote here. It's a Belgian scale-up that is specialized in digital sedation that develops a new method for relieving patients' pain and anxiety through treatment with clinically proven sessions of therapeutic virtual reality. Yes. This sounds very complex <laughs> from you know my poor business background, so no medicine background at all. But maybe you can walk us through the yeah. timeline. You know, how did you end up investing in that company? Yeah. How did it look like the process and sure. the decision making, basically? Sure. So, Uncomfort is an incredible story. Um, I met actually the CEO through another investment through Kaiko Health uh, that we invested earlier on, and, and we already actually exited. We sold Kaiko Health last spring. But um, the CEO of Uncomfort, Mario, he was an angel investor in Kaiku, and we we met over at dinner. And I thought he was a he was a great person, uh, had a lot of thoughts, excited about innovation. And then um, about a year uh, year ago, year and a half ago, in in June, I was at an event in London, a digital therapeutics event, and all of a sudden I see Mario on the stage, and I'm and he starts talking about digital sedation and, and I'm curious you know what what is he talking about he shows a video where a person is under hypnosis clinical hypnosis delivered through virtual reality 
in an operation where you're actually doing total knee replacement, which means that you basically have an axe and a hammer and you're hammering somebody's bone away, right? And I, I looked at that piece of video and I said, that, that's really incredible. And I went to talk to Mario. I said, when are you raising money? You know, <laughs> this is something that we have to be a part of. And he said, well, you know, in the upcoming year, we started that dialogue and, you know, I, I called him a couple of times. I said, when are you coming to Lausanne? Come and talk to us. We kind of, you always talk about dating period when you're, when you're meeting a startup. So I guess that was kind of the time when we kept meeting each other in different events and he visited us and, and then they were, then they launched their, 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 um, um, investment round. So what really helped is number one, I knew the CEO from before I had a little bit of experience. I knew his, his former colleagues, uh, from the company he, he used to work for. So it was easy for me to talk to some people and, and get really good recommendations for the CEO. And that's again about the CEO. Everything is about the CEO. Uh, and, um, yeah, it, it, uh, we took a little while because in the spring, of course, last spring, with the COVID situation, the due diligence process slowed down a little bit and we had to take a little pause at the fund. We said, okay, now we stop uh, for a couple of weeks. We make a total review of our portfolio companies because if our current portfolio companies need help with the COVID situation, we need to take care of them. But then, you know, we realized everything was good and we went ahead with the uncomfort um, investment. I think it took about six months from the moment they were ready to start raising to the moment that we were kind of ready. Term sheets were out with COVID. Has, has, we had dealt, <laughs> dealt with that. And then uh, a little bit further to make the shareholder agreement and investment agreement and agree with the co-investors. And, and that was it. Great story. How did you do the, the clinical tests? You know, that, you know, what they were yeah. showing you on the video that this actually works. Yeah. How did you do the due yeah, diligence that was, there? That was funny. Of course, we read all the articles in the, in the, that they had for, from their clinical studies. But in the end, um, we took the chairman of our investment committee and the chairman of whole Debiofarm Thierry Mauvernay and the CEO of, um, of Debiofarm International, the, the pharmaceutical company and myself. And we had a, private clinical trial at the Swiss Pain Institute here in Lausanne. We, we went there and we, um, we actually watched a couple of real patients being treated with the digital sedation. And it was incredible because, you know, the operations that we saw uh, were very hard to watch because they're obviously very painful. But the patient was all right with the, the digital hypnosis. And then after that experience... Um, we actually had a small uh, test where we were hypnotized and we we were induced some pain uh, or they induced some pain on us. Uh, so uh, it, it was wonderful experience. I, I did not feel any pain. I was completely out somewhere. And after the, after the treatment, uh, after I got um, out of the hypnosis, um, I must have been really happy and relaxed for about two days. So I immediately knew that this is going to be a bestseller. And so did our, our top management. Uh, you know, we, we all were quite um, impressed with that wow. product. Sounds like a game changer. <laughs> yeah, yes. For sure. 
So now you made the investment. Uh, how do you then work and support your companies after you close the investment? Because that's yeah. actually where the real work yeah. begins, right? Yeah, absolutely. We always, uh, our investment philosophy is we're active investors. So we always take a board seat or, or ask for a board, board seat. So we continue working with them through board work, but also um, we, we organize kind of um, a workshops and ask them what kind of knowledge do you is there something that we could help you with is there do you have regulatory questions are you thinking about your your market access is there something that our people could help in the pharma or or I, if you want to work with pharma companies is there questions that you have about what do the customers you know what's the customer need so we help them by by you know creating connections to our people at Debio Farm they, we organize workshops together. We kind of um, it's we kind of give them time from our experts, uh, and then of course in the board, um, it's important and really interesting to help the company direct uh, direct their their strategy and uh, be there on the journey with them. Now I think you gave us a, a great insight into how you work at the innovation fund. I also wonder, you know, now looking back at your career, you worked in both Finland and Switzerland. You also have yeah. <laughs> uh, these roots, obviously. Yeah. So if you compare the two uh, countries, basically, what yeah. comes to mind when you think about Finland, Switzerland, the differences and yeah. what they can learn from each other? Yeah, I think that the biggest difference is, is comes actually from the history of these countries. Finland is a relatively young country. It's 100 years old. And... Um, it it uh, it's in the north. Uh, it's kind of exotic somewhere there, where there's a lot of snow and reindeer, um, and so they are at a position naturally that they have to um, they have to rely on technology, and um, they are very innovative because they don't have the long history. So they have to create something new to you know sell to the international markets and so on. So they're technically oriented. Um, very good in IT, lots of history in IT, in, in gaming industry, in Nokia and so on. Um, and, and uh, you know, very appreciative about young energy creativeness um, and so on. In Switzerland, on the other hand, you know, we're 800, nine, 800, oh, how old is Switzerland? 12, 12 uh, 91. We're, um, yes, we're 800. 800 years old company, <laughs> More or less. So Switzerland is an 800-year-old company, and that that puts a you know we have lots of traditions here in Switzerland. Uh, we have lots of old good industry here. We have lots of capital in Switzerland. So obviously that change that has a completely different environment, where maybe sometimes even a bit too. I wouldn't say conservative, but too thorough. So, you know, it has to be technology and, and then everything has to be in place. And then, then, then we are planning, uh, planning things a lot. Whereas in Finland, the, the guys are already moving because they're very creative and, and fast moving. On the other hand, um, Swiss companies tend to think into a longer future that, and uh, their, the ambition is to build a company and maybe a bigger company. And I think that Finnish startup companies have maybe um, they want to get they want to spin the product to the market. Um, they want to bring their their technology to the world, but there's maybe not the same time to, type of ambition to develop to become a medium size to large size company. And there's more understanding that 
this is a startup that we will sell one year and then I will start another company and it's a very entrepreneurial culture. Yeah, makes sense. Let's also look a bit into the future. Mm -hmm. So let's start at the macro level and then go deeper into the micro level. Where do you see the future or the, the upcoming trends of digital health? I think some of the biggest things that we need to change is in the way we uh, understand um, insurance and health insurance and um, um, how we how we today we pay for treating diseases and in the future we need to think about predicting and keeping ourselves um, healthy. That, that shift is important. And the other one is the patient centricity. Um, th this is a traditional industry where doctor is at the center of attention and, and has all the information. But in today's world, the younger generations, they're completely digitalized and you know, everyone, my, my kids have never even known the, the, you know, going into a bank office, you know, to, to do banking business, everything is online. So they will not understand why they would not have their health in, in uh, information um, with them on their smartphones. Um, they are digi natives. They want to they they want to have knowledge about their conditions. They want to see alternatives. It's like the navigation. You know, I'm here today. I want to get there. Maybe also in health. I'm I'm in a. I have something today. I have a backache, uh, or I have maybe some symptoms of of something more serious. And I want to get back to health. How does the navigator, what are the potential routes? This might take longer, or but it's, a, it's an easier route. This might be the fastest route, but, it, you know. So really um, having the patient at the center, being a, a part of the decision-making, that has to change. So as a consumer, I love what you're describing. That sounds like a very, very good development from my personal customer perspective. Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's uh, even when we think about our vaccination records uh, on paper. I mean, uh, and and do we even remember exactly what we got? Uh, do we have those papers from our childhood? I think it's 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 um, it's incredible that we don't have access to our own health data today. Fully agree. Yeah. So, what is next for the Debio Farm Innovation Fund then? Ah, <laughs> I think we continue on this path. I really want to crack the nut off. Can we um, predict um, how drugs will perform in humans um, in silico? Uh, one of our investment, Nova Discovery, is working on this in silico drug development. So really, how far can we go with that? Um, I would like to see that... Um, patient experience information becomes integrated into our development and in all pharma development in the future so that if if we use um, smartphones, uh, watches, uh, other wearables, that that information is integrated into how we, how we kind of, um, how we interpret how the patient is doing. So really, we are able to measure all of this and we need to hear the patient voice. So I really want to do that. Yeah. I think in, in that regard, then you're suddenly also competing in a certain way with the big tech companies, right? Like mm -hmm. Apple is pushing that game heavily, massively yes. with Apple Health and stuff. Yes. So that's going to be a very interesting, but also probably quite competitive field. 
Yes, it is. But at the same time, it's, it, it, the big players are part of this ecosystem and they're creating a platform where these startup companies can, because they, they, you can't cover all, all at the same time, all medicine. So startup companies typically take one narrow field, but if there's a, a kind of an ecosystem of technologies and a platform, you basically plug in these different, different applications into it. You plug in, you know, certain type of cancer care, um, certain type of uh, physiotherapy or whatever. And, and th- that ecosystem has, there's a lot, a lot of space for startups and the large ones. And I, I believe that we can only together build the future. Got it. So now we talked about the industry, we talked about the Debio Farm Innovation Fund, mm-hmm. but we also wonder what's next for Tanya. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, um, I really, I think that all my career I've worked with startup companies and CEOs and I'm excited, you know, the excitement of innovation, um, challenging the status quo. I don't think that's ever going anywhere. So uh, I don't know. Um I think that the investment area is great because you can really help and and be a part of this ecosystem and working with CEOs uh, in this area somewhere. Got it. Yeah. So to wrap up this episode, we prepared five rapid fire questions for you. I either give you one question or a selection of two or three options to choose one of them. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. So the first one, regret making an investment or regret not making it? Regret not making it. Why? <laughs> Afterwards, we saw that uh, you, can, you can see that a company has, has after all, um, um, done real, real well. But I think that what my answer indirectly says that I've never regretted any investments that we've made. Nice. Do you have any favorite in- investment that you missed and now wish you had invested back in the days? That was in my previous uh, job. Um, uh, there was a company that I helped start up and I think that I should have personally invested in, in that company. What an exciting story. Got it. <laughs> they became. What's the biggest deal breaker in an investment from your perspective? Any sort of um, um, sign of mistrust towards me or or any set of a behavior that leads me to think that the person has not been fully honest very good point what one piece of advice would you give to your younger self ah don't worry so much you know things are gonna work out (laughs) love that one that's cool and if you could only pick one career would it be biology or business biology okay that's where your heart is Mm mm-hmm Got it. And the last one, Switzerland or Finland? Oh, that's not a fair question. (laughs) Switzerland, I think. My roots are in Finland and my wings are in Switzerland. Got it. (laughs) Tanya, thank you so much for your time and for sharing the interesting journey. And it was a pleasure talking to you. And we wish you and also the Debio Farm Innovation Fund all the best and lots of success for the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Silvan. It was a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.